0: You Lord keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Psalm 1828. Hey, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knockles. I hope this finds you well and having a beautiful fall season. If this podcast has been meaningful to you these past six years, maybe it's helped you to feel not so alone in the middle of your mundane. If so, we would love for you to share about it with others, other podcast listeners who maybe have just never listened to The Glorious of the Mundane. You can do that by clicking the link to subscribe to this podcast. And then if you'd really like to help us, consider rating this podcast or leaving a review to tell people what it's meant to you. We're living in a day, an age where we might feel digitally more connected than ever, but because of that, it's actually harder than ever to just get the word out about content that we create. So listeners like you can actually help other listeners find this podcast when you rate it and you leave a review. I made the really, really hard decision this past year. In fact, I sat on the decision for more than a year to fold my Patreon account. It grieved me in many ways because you patrons became a family to me, and you know that. I just recently got to meet several of you while I've been out speaking at various events, and it just meant so much to me to hear even one of you say that being a patron meant so much because it felt like you got to be a part of something bigger of getting truth-filled content out into the world. And it's so true. I couldn't have and wouldn't have wanted to do it without you. But as I ended up needing to lay the podcast down at the end of last year, and I didn't exactly know when I was going to be picking it up again, our little team made the tough decision to let our Patreon platform go. But I will say, you can still be a patron and helping us get the word out about this podcast. It might be helpful to describe why you enjoy listening. And as I said before, maybe something about what it has specifically meant to you. As you know, my heart by now, this is not about promoting me, but rather helping us connect people with Christ-centered content. And before we move on, just a quick reminder as well about the opportunity to volunteer this coming summer with our precious friends at blueskiesministries.org. I have to tell you that one of my favorite things that Blue Skies added this past summer that we got to help out with was Christmas in July, and we have every intention of getting to be a part of it again this year. We got to stay up late one night with Melinda and some of the other staff and volunteers and got to hang stockings full of goodies for the kids as they arrived for chapel that next morning. And I will say we also put on a mini Christmas concert along with some lullabies that night and it was pretty magical for us to get to do that. In fact, did you know that Nathan and I wrote most of the lullaby album while we were at Blue Skies one summer? It was one of the times that we actually volunteered for three weeks straight, which is actually beautiful. We loved it. And we set up an entire studio in the front room of the beach house that we were staying in. And I think I've told you before that one afternoon, we got rained out from going to the beach, and I had ended up going upstairs to just try to take a nap. And I was looking out our window out across the storm clouds, just hovering over the house, and lo and behold, that was when Pitter-Patter Goes the Rain was born. <laughs> that song was a precious silver lining for getting rained out from the beach, that's for sure. Anyway, I hope you'll at least check out the website or even just help us get the word out about this unique opportunity to other families that you know that might want to serve. Again, you can find all of the info you need at blueskiesministries.org. Well, I hope you enjoyed getting to hear the song, Come Magnify, in last week's episode. It is the first of many songs that I'm going to be sharing with you over the next several weeks. You might hear that my voice is a little bit hoarse, and that's because I've been singing all day yesterday and all day today, (laughs) but this coming Friday, October 21st, I'll be releasing a two-song EP that will include Come Magnify, that you've already got to hear, as well as a song called Home that I'm so thrilled to get to share with you today. Both of these songs are a part of an entire album that will release after the first of the year, and I cannot wait to share it all with you. Through the years, I have been asked the question several times, what is my favorite song of my own that I personally love to sing? Well, as you can imagine, that answer has changed throughout the years because I've kept writing all of these years, of course. And in those early years of songwriting, it would probably have been a song called Holy Roar that Nathan and I wrote very early on in our marriage, honestly, probably only a few months after we got married, and we were still very much learning how to write songs in that season, but I'll never forget sitting on the couch in our little, probably 800-square-foot apartment, is that right, Nathan, (laughs) in Oklahoma City? And Nathan was sitting there playing the piano softly in our little living room, and the Lord brought this picture to my mind. Some might call it a vision, which is not something that usually happens to me, but I saw in my mind's eye a stadium full of young people worshiping together and making what I only knew how to describe in that moment as a holy roar. Of course, at this time in our lives, we had never seen anything like that. I think in that day, maybe only Billy Graham had gathered that many people in a stadium, but never before had there been any kind of gathering that large, especially just of young people coming together with a sole purpose and intent of worshiping God together. Looking back, this was very much a vision of both what was to come in terms of a worship movement that would actually sweep across our nation and our world, but also even how Nathan and I would get to be a part of that worship movement in many ways. Another song that I loved getting to share in those early years, even though it came from a really heartbreaking season for me, was the song called Glory Baby. It was written about two babies that we lost back to back in 1999. And we went on our very first tour that year with Point of Grace. We traveled to 80 different cities with them that year. And most nights of the spring leg of that tour, I shared Glory Baby. It's not what I would have chosen to sing about given the choice, but God knew that getting to share that song would birth something in me that I needed in my road to longevity and ministry, which is compassion. I think singing it each night helped me heal, but it also was very much a part of others' healing as well, and I was able to identify with their pain with a heart full of mercy and empathy in a way that I know that I never would have without having gone through that. I think singing it every night also helped me feel as if I was able to honor those two babies that we lost. I also can't help but think about this song, The Purest Place, written in a season when Jesus was beginning to teach me about what it looks like for Him to truly be the treasure of my life. I also loved singing the song, For Your Splendor. A song about the Lord's pruning in our lives and how it's for our protection and that growing into a tall oak for His display and splendor is all about where our roots are planted. Some of you might remember the song, Wonderful. I loved singing that song in that season. It was written in my minivan on the way to Target one afternoon when I needed to lift my voice in praise and turn my worries into worship as I was carrying something very heavy that week in my heart. And I called that little minivan in those years my sanctuary, especially when I had littles. It wasn't my sanctuary because it was like clean and orderly. (laughs) My minivan had Chick fil A nuggets and sippy cups on the floorboard, just like yours probably does. But one time I'll never forget, I looked back in the back seat really quick because a friend was going to jump in and ride with me somewhere. And, you know, I did that quick once over just to see, you know, like how bad the damage was. And I, I remember I just saw one lone snow boot and then just like a Barbie head on the floor, you know, with all the nuggets and sippy cups, of course. And I just thought to myself, sweet, like we're in pretty good shape here. (laughs) But my goodness, the list really does go on because I can't help but think of Amaryllis from the Christmas album and of course, River of Grace from the Lullaby Project. But this song, Home, that I'm going to share with you today, it really might be My personal all time favorite. It's that special to me. The story of this song really goes back to the beginning of 2021, which I've told you before was a much harder year for me than even 2020 was. In fact, I'm going to be really honest with you and tell you that it was so hard that I came very close to quitting everything by the end of last year. Nathan can attest that I'm not just saying that, like I was legitimately looking at smaller houses and smaller everything so that I could potentially just shrink my whole world to a more manageable size and just quit. (laughs) Or maybe it was just everything ministry related that I wanted to quit because I had actually entertained the thought of maybe getting my real estate license because I thought you know I could enjoy that on a very small local level. That's how exhausted I was. And honestly, the level of discouragement that I had reached. And to those of you who are realtors out there and those of you who don't work outside your home or do ministry outside your home, this is not at all a slam on you. You know that. In fact, you know, I admire you a lot. It's just that I'm now able to see it for what it was. Severe exhaustion that was about to keep me from running in the lane of ministry that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm called to run in, and I want the same for you, and for some of you, your ministry and your lane is real estate, and God bless you. I I think it's great." I know that you've heard me talk about quitting or or laying down things before, but the difference this time around was that this exhaustion, it wasn't stemming from doing too much. In fact, as I look back on it all now, I had been in the habit in that season of making sure and even planning ahead so that I would have margin in my life. Even before my book released in February of 21, I was carefully planning to have room in my life, to be able to work hard, even from a place of rest, and getting the word out about my book, and to fulfill the promise to my publisher to do my part in sharing about this work. What I didn't plan on, though, was being jarred from my sleep around midnight of the day that my book released, with pain that had me reaching out for Nathan, who was laying next to me, It was so severe that I asked him to pray for me out loud in the moment. It did subside after he prayed enough where I could sleep, but the next day it continued. And We were out at Lost Valley Ranch leading worship for their staff retreat that week, and the pain had continued enough into the next day where Nate and I kept considering maybe we needed to drive into the ER. Well, I know I've shared some of this before, but by the end of that week, upon returning home, I was getting a CT scan, but the doctors found nothing. Even though I hadn't consciously felt aware of stress around my book release, there was certainly the theory that stress was still somehow coming out sideways in my body It could certainly have been the case, especially as this was also around the time that my mom was in a crucial decline as a result of her fight against cancer. In fact, I remember talking to my dad on the phone as we were in the airport about to fly home from Las Valley and him telling me that it had been a very hard week for her and that he was genuinely concerned about the days and weeks to come. And in those days and weeks to come, it did continue to be really hard for my mom, for both of my parents, and it was kind of touch and go. Both of my brothers came in to be near her. For those of you who tune in to the IF gathering in the spring, you might remember that I led a worship set virtually from home that year because I didn't want to be far from her either. And as for me, the pain not only continued, but culminated into an entire slew of bizarre physical ailments for most of that year, each of them seemingly having nothing to do with the other. I haven't publicly talked about these physical hardships much, partly because, as you may have experienced before, everyone ends up trying to diagnose you from afar, (laughs) and that just ends up scaring you even more. But it's also because I've come to realize that, yes, while it is my health, and it is very important and challenging— It is a set of circumstances, and I can't control them, and I can't do anything about it. I'm also aware that this time next year, I might not be going through what I'm specifically navigating right now that is challenging, but you and I both know I will be navigating something challenging, whatever that may be. We were never promised a life without trials and hardship, but I have learned that we do yearn and long for life to be good once more. And that longing goes all the way back to Eden. Honestly, the physical ailments that I've battled for the past year and a half, they were just one layer of the discouragement that was weighing me down. What was just as heavy on me, if not more, was the state of our world, and even more importantly, the state of the church, both globally and locally with more and more dissension in the church as a whole, as well as a cavern of political divide that I know you feel. It just feels like we've all been slowly arriving to some kind of new normal, and maybe the grief of it all is just now catching up or has been catching up to us, and we're maybe just now becoming aware of it. In July of 2021, I began reading some books on apologetics as well as on progressive Christianity and what's called deconstruction as we have friends who have moved in this direction and we have adult children who began at that time to ask us questions about the questions that they were hearing all around them not to mention the rise of the my-truth moment where someone's story and perception or opinion, even their wounding, forms this stance that's not to be argued with, rather than seeking actual truth. Elisa Childers, in her book called Another Gospel, she defines deconstruction this way. In the context of faith, Deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way into atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a type of reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. Well, as with everything in our world, you and I both know that you can hardly use words or phrases without them meaning different things to different people. That's part of the confusion that is the world that we live in now. But if we're taking Elise's definition at face value, this is grieveworthy stuff, in my opinion. And like I said, I have friends, and you probably do too, who are walking away and have walked away from the faith they once knew, or maybe you have friends or kids who feel completely lost on how to navigate what it looks like to be a Christ follower in this hour. I can't help but think about how disappointment, discouragement, and disillusionment play such a heavy role in people walking away from the faith. And the frightening thing is is that disappointment, if left unattended, will lead to discouragement, disillusionment, and weariness. And as I shared in my book, I believe that unbelief is the ultimate form of weariness and burnout. I'll admit that my reading last summer was a bit of a deep dive into some hard and heavy truths, and it was right in the middle of me already carrying all the other hard and heavy stuff. And a kind of grief hit me that I wasn't even braced for. But looking back, I also know that I needed to go there. Even from just the standpoint of being a mother— to understand in a deeper way what my kids are navigating in culture. While there's nothing new under the sun, even in terms of what has come against historical Christianity, even from the time that Jesus ascended to the Father, this is still a moment that you and I and our children have not yet faced. It is new to us. Others may have faced it before us, and it might have looked even a little bit different, but you and I are here for such a time as this, and our such a time as this is new to us, and it deeply matters what we do with it. I took a spiritual gifts test twice, actually, in 2021, and both times it revealed that my number one spiritual gift is faith, and being reminded of that helped me to understand where the depths of this grieving was coming from. First off, you and I are having to deal with life as we now know it. Secondly, our children, or if you don't have kids, those we care about who are coming up behind us, they're having to deal with it too. And what they are navigating and will have to keep navigating in terms of their faith is beyond anything you and I could have ever imagined at their age. Thirdly, I think the grief hit the hardest As I began to just feel small and outnumbered and holding to what I know to be true. I know that feeling small and outnumbered sounds kind of like a pity party, but I have to believe that some of you have maybe felt the same way. And here's where the enemy who was already prowling knew that I was vulnerable and he pounced in with full force. As I was reading all of those heady arguments and debates over every major point in the Christian faith, I began to feel like such a simpleton. The main accusation from the enemy went something like this, and you thought lullabies could cut through darkness? It was just this intimidating spirit that seemed to just say, you and your work, you've got nothing on me. I'll never forget back in the day when the Passion of the Christ movie was about to be released, and we were invited to a showing where Mel Gibson came to this tiny venue here in Nashville to meet with artists in the Christian music industry as well as the country music industry, and he showed us the film, and he sat with us afterwards, and he answered questions about the film. Well, Nathan and I couldn't make the first night, which was for Christian artists, so we slipped in the next night, which was for country artists, and for real, you name it. Whoever was huge in the country industry at that time was in that room. I'll actually never forget being in the women's restroom that night, and I heard a woman humming in the stall next to me while she was going to the bathroom, (laughs) and I actually knew who it was just by her humming, and I was right. As we met at the sinks, it was Wynona Judd, and she and I actually have met a few times like that, oddly, <laughs> at sinks in the mirror. But that night as the movie played, uh, which was still so new and even in production that it didn't even have the musical score to it yet, so all the more you could actually hear audible weeping all throughout the room. Afterwards, as I said, Mel just sat on these steps of the stage at that small little chapel, and he answered questions. And regardless of how you feel about Mel Gibson and even that film, if you've seen it, it was so intriguing to listen to him and why he made the choices he did with the film. And he even told us about some of the miraculous things that had happened on the set while they were filming He knew loads of scripture and was just quoting it by heart. But I'll never forget someone asking him why he chose to depict Satan the way that he did. And specifically, they asked about the scene where the soldiers are brutally scourging Jesus and Satan shows up in that moment. And in the scene, the enemy just walks around and he's taunting Jesus with this eerie smile on his face, his countenance seemingly posing as peace and contentment, but at the same time, it just feels like the deepest darkness you have ever seen. And while Jesus is being beaten, Satan opens his robe in the front to reveal what appears to be a baby, like he's holding his spawn that he's like nurturing and caring for. It's quite disturbing, but I was so intrigued about that scene and I was glad that someone asked about it. Well, Mel responded, and he basically said that he, you know, of course, took creative liberty in depicting Satan in general, but for that moment in particular, even though he acknowledged that there's no scripture to back up that Satan taunted Jesus in that moment, but what he said was something like, why wouldn't he have? It was just his personal conviction that here you have Jesus at the most vulnerable moment in his life, why wouldn't Satan have taunted and intimidated him? And he said the child tucked under Satan's robe was just sort of this message being sent that said something like, look what your father does to you. Look what he allows to you. I would never do that to my own child. See how I care for my own. We know from scripture that the enemy is a thief. John 10.10 says that he's come to steal and kill and destroy he is always directly opposing what God has already promised and released over us. First and foremost, God's life and God's life to the fullest, which is what Jesus came to give us. That's the end of John 10:10. 10, 10. Towards the end of the summer of 21, I was exhausted emotionally and spiritually and physically And I made the decision, as I said before, to not move forward with creating new episodes for the podcast so that I could just streamline my world. Nathan and I both had expressed a deep desire to write some new music. We'd said it out loud. We were excited about it. But most days, I simply didn't physically and emotionally feel up to it. And if I'm gut honest, my feelings were hurt. And some of that narrative of the accuser had really sunk in. Not only did I not physically feel up to writing and creating fresh and hopeful content, I had also begun to doubt that pure and authentic and hopeful content can even hold a candle to the conversations that are swirling around and dominating social media and our culture. I was reading scripture and praying during that season, but looking back, I was so self protective and guarded in my time with the Lord. I felt overlooked as the hardship was just not lifting and i didn't understand why when the spring of 22 rolled around not much had changed except that the anger stage of grief had rolled in and i was regularly processing out loud with nathan which would usually end in us you know fighting or at least having an intense conversation but I shared some of this in the Abide episodes back in June as it was still very fresh and raw to me, but I wanted to come back around to it because it sets up this song, Home, and it also sets up many other things, honestly, in a way that nothing else can it was March of this year, and Nathan and I had planned to take Annie to dinner and a movie, but last minute, I wasn't filling up to going, so Nathan ended up taking Annie just on his own. And as I watched them drive away, I ended up staying outside on the porch with the dogs and just watching the beginnings of a beautiful golden hour. And as I sat in the rocking chair, I just felt a stirring in my heart to talk to the Lord out loud. As I realized that I was going to be home alone for the next several hours, I could do that. Well, I wasn't sure where to start with him, so I just started talking to him. I was a bit shy at first, but it wasn't long before I found myself pouring out my heart to him. And it was his kindness that I sensed in that moment that led me to just begin confessing out loud to him and asking his forgiveness for the anger that I realized had been embedded in my heart against Him for many, many months. And that's when the tears started rolling as I acknowledged once more that I know that I belong to Him and that no matter what is going on in my world, I'm safest when I am nearest Him. And that particular week and even that day had been very challenging for me physically. And I said to Him, you know, I'm glad we're having this talk, you know, like, so if I'm dying, I mean, in that, that day, I literally was like, am I dying? <laughs> but I was like, I'm glad we had this talk. You know, I'm glad we're clearing things up here, you know, in case I'm going to like see you soon. <laughs> and then I remember saying something to him like, okay, Lord, you know, if for whatever reason, even though we've asked, and Nathan and I had asked, and he'd prayed for me a lot in that season, I acknowledge that you are not taking this away from me. For whatever reason, you're choosing not to lift this. And as I just sat in that for a minute, and I realized that I had some choices before me, I could allow these circumstances to just keep standing in the way of me, choosing abiding rest in Jesus. I could keep taking offense, letting anger just continue to fester in me against Him. I can continue to let myself be hurt by the fact that He was allowing this to happen to me. I could numb out with wine or Netflix or shopping. I could hide and find relief in dozens of other things besides Him. Or I could choose Him as my relief. And I remember in that moment, the only way that I know how to describe it is that I saw Him see me, the God who sees saw me, and I felt seven again. Literally, I had this core memory emerge in that moment of me making mud pies in the backyard in the house that I grew up in, which just affirmed what I remember sensing them, that he's always been with me. I remember looking up at that sunset sky that night on the porch, and I just said, what do you want me to do? You know, you give me all this vision and these plans for hopeful content, and you call me to travel and share and speak and sing and make you known, but then it seems like you just purposefully limit me. What do you want me to do? (laughs) And before I could even get that sentence out, I heard in my spirit a resounding this, this, this is what I want you to do as in what we're doing right now, you talking to me, you being my kid, you coming back home to my heart. The songs and the podcast and the travel, it's all great, babe, but this is what I want from you. And in that moment, it all came back to me again, <laughs> who I am, to whom I belong, what I'm here for. And it was as if First John four eighteen came to life right there on the porch There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. And I remembered full well that I am safe in His almighty life, come what may. I also acknowledge that He knows me well enough to know that it's quite possible that this moment might never have existed had I not had the hardships weighing on me. As I've said before, the trials and the pain have afforded me something greater than any of my own dreams and plans could ever afford me. Namely, a dependency on Him that just keeps changing my life over and over. And that's when I said through sobs, Okay, Lord, if you're not going to lift this, I love you. I choose to love you in this. Friends, I really do believe that there's something for us in this right here as the people of God in this hour, choosing Him as our relief and choosing to love Him, even when He's not lifting whatever it is that we're asking Him to lift. About three months after this beautiful moment on the porch with the Lord, John Eldridge released a book called Resilient. And the Lord has used John from afar in my adult life for many, many years, and I love that this past summer I was reading his book, as he described in detail, essentially kind of what I went through in 2021 and early 22. And I was even shocked to read pages that talk about what it looks like to love God right in the center of our pain and hardship and longing for Him to lift it from us, like choosing to love Him right in the middle of that. I even sat there with my mouth open one Sunday in July as I read this chapter called, I Just Want Life to Be Good Again. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard the expression that someone's been reading your mail. Well, that's how I felt. But what I love is that it confirms and affirms to me that this is a work of the Holy Spirit that God is doing in me. And it confirms and affirms to me that it's a work that the Holy Spirit is most likely up to in you. Early in that chapter, John talks about the pandemic and what studies are now showing, how it wreaked havoc on our souls and took out our reserves. And you and I have been desperately trying to recover ever since. Well, he sets up this truth that we as humans have a deep longing in us for things to be good again. And it goes all the way back. To Eden, as I said in the beginning, our true home. He shares that at the epicenter of our being is the deep longing for things that bring us life, to plan for those things, to take a hold of them, and to enjoy them. He calls this capacity our primal drive for life. He says this, our longing for life to be good again will be the battleground for our heart. How you shepherd this precious longing and if you shepherd it at all will determine your fate in this life and in the life to come. He goes on to say, when the human heart and soul experience month after month of disappointment and loss, death rolls in. Dr. Richard Gunderman described the progressive onset of disillusionment as the accumulation of hundreds or thousands of tiny disappointments, each one hardly noticeable On its own. The loss of hope and dreams suffocates the primal drive for life. But our God has provision for us. I know, I know, most of you think that what you need right now is three months at the coast, walking on the beach, drinks on the deck, and with all my heart, I hope you find that. But for most of us, a sabbatical in some gorgeous refuge is not available. What is available is the river of life, God Himself. In ways we have not yet tapped into. And he goes into all the different references of the river of life Ezekiel 47, Revelation 22, and John 7. And then he goes on to say, in order to tap into the river of life, we begin by loving God in our longing for life to be good again. That's where things are decided. Nearly all of us have been chasing relief in a myriad of hopes, plans, and dreams without first turning to God. So we need to enter the longing, feel it, become present to it, and in that place, start loving God. Choose Him. Our first step toward resilience is to return our primal drive for life and our longing for things to be good again to God we come back to Jesus from all other places we've been chasing life. We allow Him to be our rescuer here in the longing for life to be good again. We ask God to fill us with the river of His life. As I read this, I realized that that night on the porch, I returned to my true home, a home that I have in God right here in the here and now, my glorious right here in the mundane eternity at home with the earthly and right in the center of my uncertainty right in the middle of my longing for him to lift what he was allowing me to endure this deep relief came over my heart and soul as i chose him above it all he's my relief he's your relief he's my home he's your home where we can't go wrong when we're running towards him where everything in our world comes back together again. Two nights after the moment on the porch, I was jarred awake in the middle of the night in my hotel room, this time not from searing pain, but from a song. Literally in all my years of songwriting, this has never happened to me before, but I woke up to hearing the downbeat of a song in my head, and the first word that I sang was home. I grabbed my phone that was next to my bed, and I just began to type the words to the song. Almost the entire song was just written out in my phone notes right there in the middle of the night. I remember just laying there bawling as I typed them out. I told Nathan the next morning that I felt like the Lord gave me the diving board song for this entire record, meaning that it's the song and the melody that just seemed to propel the rest of the songs to just come to the surface in me. And I had this huge feeling of gratitude towards the Lord. He had already shown up a couple of nights before in just such the sweetest way on the porch in a way that truly changed me forever. But to give me this song, I've just said to him so many times, you didn't even have to do that, but you did. And I'm so grateful. When I sang this vocal, you just need to know that I doubled over more than once, just sobbing. We had to stop, had to get myself together. Not because it means so much to me, but it does mean a lot to me, as you well know by now. But just because I just, I pictured so many souls coming home, finding their home again in God. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time. The bridge of this song says... I've spent so much time running, trying to make some big grand entrance home, carrying all of my treasures. I just want to make you proud of all I've done. But that's when I see you running from the screen door on the front porch with a smile that says it all, that you just want me home. John fourteen twenty three says, And Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love Him. And we will come to Him and make our home with Him. I'll talk to you soon. Home
1: Where I belong My home Where I can't go wrong My home Where everything comes Back together again Where my heart Bye. comfort just to know that I was made by you and for you, cause wouldn't that make you Been so much time running, running Trying to make some big rent entrance home Carrying all of my treasures I just want to make you proud of all I've done But that's when I see you running From the screen door on the front porch With a smile that says it all that you just want me home Where I belong, my home Where I can't go wrong, my home I'm coming back home